time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Listeners, I'm excited to have one of my favorite authors back on the podcast today, John David Mann. The only thing about this recording is we don't have his precious wife with us. The last time we did a recording, we had Anna, his wife, as we reviewed the book. We talked about the book, The Go-Giver Marriage. John David Mann has written a number of books. He's a prolific writer, and he's written a series of books called The Go-Giver Listeners. Now, most of you are listening to this, but I'm holding up three of the books of his. Yeah, I don't have The Go-Giver Marriage in this particular stack of books here, but these are just outstanding books, and it was co-authored with Bob Berg. And there's a new one that is being released, listeners, that's about one of my favorite topics. I think marriage is starting to become one of my favorite topics and <laughs> yes. on, on that, but this one's on leadership. John David Mann, good to have you on the podcast here with us again. Appreciate it. Talking about I have been book. looking forward to this for weeks. I'm really looking forward for our listeners to get a chance to read this book. It's a special book. But again, tell us a little bit about yourself and the books you've written. I always like getting our listeners, for those that didn't listen to the first podcast, a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning to write. I've always been fascinated with how we learn and, and storytelling. My mom was a storyteller. She was a teacher of Greek mythology. And she used to read me the Odyssey in bed when I was a kid for me to go to sleep. And I've, I've written, as you pointed out, a lot of books. I've, I've published over 30 books. I've published a lot of nonfiction books, how-to books on leadership and so forth. I've published a series of novels. But in between the novels and the nonfiction, there's a sort of juncture in there, which is the parables. They call them nonfiction because they're teaching books, but they're also fiction because they're stories. And parables have a special place in my heart. I love all of them, but I especially love writing these parables like The Go-Giver and this newest book, The Vagrant. It's my latest parable. And I have a particular fondness for this book. It's different than anything else I've written, really. Talk about what makes it so fond to you. I know you specialize in leadership. You talk a lot about leadership, but what makes this one so special to you. It's funny, the genesis of this book and, and why it's so special, it's on a topic, leadership, as you mentioned, and I wrote it with Dan Rockwell, who is, of course, a very well-known leadership expert. He created the blog Leadership Freak, which is an enormously popular blog on leadership. It's the first book Dan and I have done together. But beyond leadership, at the heart of the book, it's about a topic that's even nearer and dearer to my heart, particularly as I've come into later years of my life, and that's humility. I look back on how I was in my 20s and 30s, and I would not list humility at the top of my attributes list. I have come to be extremely fond of that topic of humility. With each passing year, it becomes nearer and dearer to my heart. And when Dan called me up and said, I wonder if you'd be interested in writing a book with me, it's about humility. It was like, you're singing my song. How did you know? I had been thinking, David, I've been thinking for years about writing a parable about humility. And when Dan came along, it was just like, okay, this was obviously meant to be. It's such a good book. So let's get into the book. And again, there's some wonderful 
aspects about this book and I don't want to give it away because I want right. people to read it. And there's so many different ways we could go, but when you're writing a parable, yeah. did you come up with the parable or did Dan come up with the parable or the concept of the parable? Yeah. Dan had this concept when we spoke on the phone, which was by the first time ever we spoke on the phone. I'd known Dan for years. He'd known of me for years. He's been a big supporter of the Go-Giver books. I've been a big fan of the leadership brief, but we'd never spoken. And so we had a really? phone call. And in that one phone call, I was like Dorothy Boyd to Jerry Maguire in the movie. You had me at hello, right? And he had the idea. He had a, a, he had a premise. He said, I have this kind of vague story idea about a young man who's an up and coming executive, very successful, clearly on his way to the top. And this is no spoilers because this all happens on page one and two of the book. But he unexpectedly, abruptly loses his job and moments later has an unsettling encounter with a homeless man. And then he had a few other ideas about where it went from there. And we talked about it a little bit, but that was the setup. It's going to be a fall from grace story and also a fall and redemption kind of story. So we knew that going in. Over the following weeks and months, I just brainstormed with Dan back and forth online, as I like to do, as I used to do with Bob and the Go-Giver books. And I started having questions for Dan. What would you think if he did this? And how do you think it would play out if he did that? And after we'd gone back and forth a little bit, I just took off running and started to develop a story. It's more like a novel than any of these parables I've done. It's just delightfully, it, once you engage this book, you pick it up, you start reading it, you cannot set this down. It's one of those ones that you can read and, and you read quickly. It's not that terribly long. So you can no. actually take this book and go through it. But what really tells me that a book has got a lot of thought that went into it uh, is how many times you think about the book after you read the last page. And I keep going back to the parable and aspects of the parable. And I think where we see so many people in the market today, in business today, or whatever aspect of leadership, whether it be in the marketplace or in ministry or wherever, humility is one of those things people struggle with. And it seems like we may start out with some humility or have elements of humility, but as success happens and develops and carries us up, it promotes us, I guess, yeah. We find that ability is one of those things that we lose sight of. And that's what I love about this book. And it's so powerful because it reminds us of that. So give us more in about this. I love how you develop the story and how you go into this. What David is skating around, ladies and gentlemen, is that there are plot elements of the story that we don't want to give away because they're just so much fun to see them unroll. And there's some things that are unexpected. But I'll say this, Bob, who is the center of the story, this character, Bob, is not a bad person, but he's not a terribly likable person, at least not at first. And he is going to go through some transformation. In some ways, the book of Job was my template. And Bob, which if you think about it, sounds a lot like Job. Bob loses not just his job, but over the course of the following chapters, he loses his apartment, he loses his reputation, he loses his money, he loses everything. He loses his health, he loses his self-confidence, he even comes pretty darn close to losing his life. And in the course of all that loss, his personality, let's put it this way, his personality gets sandpapered, the rough edges get made plain, and he starts to become a different person, or let's say more like the true himself, more like his real person. 
one of the things about leadership that, you know, and, and humility, and we think about humility in terms of what's my attitude? How do I act about myself? Am I full of myself or am I gracious about myself? But one of the things the book highlights is that humility is also about the way that we interact with other people, the way that we play team or don't play team. And one of the things that Bob comes face to face with is how have other people been seeing him that he's been unaware of? I should hasten to say this, that the book is a parable. It's a story. At the end of the story, there's a section called Reflections, which is mostly mm -hmm. written by Dan. And in fact, it's completely written by Dan. The parable is my specialty and the reflections is Dan's specialty. And the reflections passage, I love reading this. It's either like reading a prayer book or like reading a Zen treatise. I don't know. But I find so much wisdom in the paragraphs that Dan offers up there at the end of the book. And one of the things he says in there that I so love was that self-reflection is not something you engage in by yourself. That's so good. And I went, what? What? Say more yeah. about that. He shows you how to engage the people around you in your process of self-reflection, because they're going to see things about you that you don't see about yourself necessarily. That is so good. Yeah. As the story develops, it's just brilliantly written. The way you hold people, you write the parable. He gave you a concept, but John, you write in such a way that is just brilliant to make people not want to set it down. What is it that's in your writing that you do? And I'm almost asking this question selfishly because I'm getting right towards the end of writing my own book, my first one. And I definitely want to talk to you about my second one. But what is it that you do in your writing? It's a recipe. It's like you're, you were talking about Anna. She's in the other room cooking up a dinner. And for you, after we get done, you get to enjoy that with her. A little jealous. You get to spend time. I wish I could join you. I'm sure she's cooking up. But any good cook knows how to add the right elements to just make a meal something special. Yeah. Your book is like a meal, a recipe, just with some of the most amazing flavors. How do you do that? Two things come to mind. One is with a parable. Here's the, the tricky thing. It's easier to write a parable, but the thing is, it's easy to write a bad parable. <laughs> it's very difficult to write a good parable. Parables are simple and easy because they're short and they're simple stories. You don't go into this extensive character development like you do with a novel. So parables mm -hmm. are very rarefied, stylized novels almost, but that makes them harder, not easier in a way. And the tough thing about parables is that usually when you're writing a parable, it's to make a point just like an Aesop's fable that has a moral at the end, right? So it's easy to just write the story thinking about the points you want to make. And then the characters just become like cardboard cutouts that are there to illustrate your points. It's like a PowerPoint presentation disguised as a story. And that's boring. Nobody cares. Nobody gets emotionally involved in a PowerPoint presentation. The trick for me in a parable is... I know the point that I want to make, and I set that off to the side somewhere behind me. I know it's there, and I forget about it, and just start to think about the people in the story. And you have to focus on the characters. And as I often said, when I first put a character on the page and I'm drafting, it's flat to me. I don't know who this person, who is Bob? Uh, his uh, ex-girlfriend, uh, Lacey, who is a wonderful character. Who is Lacey? Who is this character, Merle? There are people in the story that I don't know when I first start writing them. And the process of writing is getting to know them so they start to come to life on the page. And so part of, I think, what the magic of storytelling is when your characters come to life for you, then they will yeah. to your reader. 
So let's talk about some of the characters in the book and the relevance that each of them bring. There's some wonderful characters and you talk about character development and you're almost getting to know them and, but you're creating them as you're getting to know them. So it's unique. Yeah, it is. It is very much. And it's very much like you're an actor portraying a character, right? Because you've inhabit their clothes, you inhabit their skin and inhabit their personality. Um, and so you, it's a process of getting to know a character is very much like the process of getting to know a real person in real life. You spend time you're, with them, you interact. But you're developing this person literally as you're writing it. This is totally a made up story. That's what's so fascinating me about how you write. And because as you read this, listeners, you're going to find these characters. They're so believable. They're so real. We've all known someone that makes up is representative in each one of the characters in here. That's the key. That's the key. They're purely made up characters, but they're reflections of real life. They're reflections of my life and they're reflections of your life. And we've all lived so much. We've all had so many interactions with so many people. There is this rich bank in all of us of empathy and, and compassion and of understanding and experience. And so the book refracts that. It resonates with that. And I think the key as a writer is to let yourself resonate with these characters and then the reader will resonate with them. So yeah, they're made up, but they're very real. They're as real as anybody. When you get into writing a story like this, you talked about the end. What did you say? It's, did you have parked behind you the principle that what you're trying to get to? Yeah. The point that you want to make the principles. Yeah. That you're wanting to drive up, but developing and getting it to there. Talk a little bit about that process that you go through as you're writing, because it, it comes through brilliantly in this particular book. So part of it is conscious and intentional. Yes. You set out to, I mean, I, I knew, okay, Bob is going to lose everything. I, I don't know exactly how, but just play with it, make up the story and see where it goes. And then characters suggest themselves along the way. What if he interacted with, had a family member? What if he had a girlfriend? What if he had a coworker? You, you just think of these things as abstractions, and then you start to play with them on the page. As you play with the interactions and the characters and the possible situations that they're in and the conversations they might have, this idea that you've been leaving on the back burner just naturally filters its way in. For example, Bob has gone through a lot of tough time. And again, I won't do spoilers, but Bob has gone through some difficult experiences. So he needs a sympathetic ear. So he goes to talk to Lacey, his old girlfriend. And inevitably what happens is he gets a perspective on himself that he was really not expecting. That's the theme of the book. That's what humility is. Humility is having your ego. There's this line. I hate to say it this early because at some point you'll probably ask me what the reader should take away from the book. And this would be my answer. There's this line in the book at one point that Bob finds as an inscription inside a book. It says, humility is when you have your ego in perspective humiliation is when you don't and the world has to do it for you yeah and good point yeah. that's what keeps happening to bob is he keeps getting his ego put in perspective for him by other people around him yeah. let's get back into the story john of this particular book the vagrant and you have an individual who's got a lot of success is convinced he's about ready to enjoy the upper suite. He's heading on his way up. He is convinced he's there. And mm -hmm. then the story develops. Walk us through what your readers are going to read, at least leading up to the really juicy parts at the end, which we'll not put on the recording. But <laughs> how talk about Bob and his journey? 
and especially relates to where so much of the pub of, of America is. So many people in America are at right now. That's why I think this book is so timely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me frame it this way. Bob, some pretty significant misfortunes happened to Bob. They befall Bob. As I said, it's one of my templates was the story of Job. Some mis major misfortunes mis uh, befall Bob. And the first, of course, is he loses his job. Right on page one, he loses his job. It isn't just that he loses his job. It is that it makes no sense to him. He did it. He was doing an incredible job where he worked. He worked in data management for a major hospital, and he was the head of a whole project to straighten out a mess. And he did an incredible job. Why would he be fired? It makes no sense. And part of the catastrophe for for Bob isn't just that he lost the job, but he 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 can't understand why that should happen have happened to him. He goes looking for other jobs, and and we and we you know and and encounters brick walls and frustrations there as well. He begins to realize he's also lost his reputation. At some point, he loses his savings. He loses his apartment. He loses his beautiful car that he loves. And none of those things make any more sense to him than the loss of his job. Right after losing his job, again on page one, he encounters this homeless man out behind the hospital and has this weird, unsettling encounter. And in a way, that unsettling homeless man spouting what seems to Bob like gibberish, in a way, that homeless man is emblematic of all that baffles Bob. And I think that's a part of the story that so many, what we can all relate to, is that when painful things happen to us, betrayals and losses and catastrophes and misfortunes and setbacks, they're painful themselves, but we're also often left going, I don't get it. Why would that happen to me? I was doing everything right. It makes no sense. It actually does make sense, but we can't see the sense that it makes. And I suppose you can make a good case for, for the idea that you'll never be able to see it all because only God can see it all. But there is perspective about our lives that is available to us if we can just let our own ego down a bit and start to listen and pay attention to what people are saying about us and how we're affecting other people. There's a scene in there where Bob goes to talk to an old coworker who's a guy who is not politically astute and a geek and kind of a misfit, but Bob knows if anybody will tell the truth, he will. And he goes to him and says, is there like a story about me on the street? I don't know. Is there like, what are people saying things I don't understand about me? And the guy says, yeah, you're loud. And Bob goes, what do you mean I'm loud? I'm not loud. And the guy says, yeah, when you walk into a room, you fill the room. You're Mr. Volume. Even when you don't talk, you're loud. And what he's saying isn't that Bob's voice is loud. It's that when he walks into a room, there's no room for anyone else there because he takes up the space because it's all about him. He's one of those guys when he walks in, everybody else just has to sit on it because Bob is going to hold forth. And it baffles him. The chapter is called Mr. Volume, and it's about how yeah. he takes up space. So I guess what I'll say is Bob goes through misfortune after misfortune, but they're all the same misfortune playing itself out in different dimensions of his life until he finally starts to gain, gain the perspective. There's a chapter in here that's titled Born to Lead. There's so many, yeah. every chapter and how it builds on everything. Talk about a little bit about 
he felt almost entitled. There was an entitlement. You do a great job of parsing out all the various parts of ego and in the book. So talk about Born to Lead. Yes. We get to meet two of his family. Bob goes to see his uncle, who is kind of a self-important guy himself. And in the story, you get reflections about Bob's earlier days with his parents. And what you find in his reflection is that Bob has been brought up to believe that he's special. Bob always felt that he was special. His parents told him he was special. And there's a specific way in which they say he's special, which you discover in the book. But the principle there is he always felt like he was special. And he had been told that he was born to lead. And in his yearbook, he had been voted most likely to succeed and to lead. He'd gotten a leadership commendation in his first job. He had been commended as a leader throughout his young life, athletically and academically and in the business world. So life was giving him supporting evidence for his thesis that, in fact, he was special. And what these misfortunes do to him is they beat that idea out of him. They beat him down to the point where he's literally on a hospital bed. And he finally says to someone, I always have thought I was special. And I finally realized that I'm not special at all. And his ex-girlfriend, Lacey, who's there with him, she leans in. One of my favorite lines in the book, she leans in and says, oh, Bob, you are special. The thing is, so is everybody else. And I don't even know if he gets it in that moment, but that's the truth of humanity. Every one of us is special. It's just that none of us is more special than any of the other one of us. And that's why this book is so timely, because I think there is a sense, many of us have had great success and many of us have felt like, you know, we deserved it because we did this and we got to where we're at. And then sometimes life shows up and hands us some lemons goes at his point. And that is probably my favorite line in the whole thing, because it's really a turning point in the book. And so probably a good point to leave it at this point where encourage people to go in. We could go further into it, but it's, it's a brilliant story. Talk about the significance. When you look at where we're at as a society, yeah. why is this book? I sense it is so timely, but why would you as the author say this book is so timely at this point in time? I would say because you could say many reasons, but for me, it's because of this. We live in a time right now and the ascent of social media is part of the cause or the facilitator of this, but it's not the only one. We live in a time right now where people are loudly and consistently and continuously pointing the finger outward. They're talking about what's wrong with you, why what you think is wrong, how could you believe how could you believe what you believe? How could you be part of that? How could you be part of them? You're the reason that my life is miserable. You're the reason I am suffering. It's all blah 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 pointing out, which yeah. even looking at myself on the screen it makes me uncomfortable. What the book does is it very gently and compassionately And it's not self-blame. It's not self-castigation or abasement. It's just recognizing that I'm part of the fabric here. We're all part of the fabric here. It's not me on the outside looking in. It's not me on the inside looking out. It's us just all looking at this fabric. And I think that beautiful thing that that Dan said, that that self-reflection is not something you practice in isolation. Wow, that just said it for me. So I think this may be a tool for people to gently look inward and start to look to themselves for the answers rather than blaming outwardly. Yeah, I think we're in a a time where there's so much blaming and this book helps us 
start looking inward. But I love what Dan said. And at the end of the book, I love how you created it. You're great. You have a great team partnership with Dan. How does that develop? Is that something you as an author, you have had the chance to work with Bob Berg. He's brilliant. You're working down with Dan. You're working with different ones. And how do you develop these partnerships? There's a secret sauce that you have, John, that is at the essence of everything you write. Is that partnership. Yeah. How do you do? I think it's two things. The first is that we click, we either click or we don't. We click around some kind of shared values and some kind of shared wavelength. Bob Berg and I had that long before we ever met in person. Brandon Webb and I had that. Dan and I had that. Boom, in that first conversation. We, we uh, did a podcast together the other day, and it was like we'd been doing it forever, um, and we had never done it before. We just There's a clicking of, and I think it's part values, it's part personality, it's just kind of wavelength. But the other thing is, I think there's a mutual respect. We know our own strengths and where we have strengths and where we don't. We don't try to do each other's business. I don't try to be a Navy SEAL and Brendan Webb doesn't try to be me. Most of these guys, my co-authors, they leave the writing up to me because that's my deal. That's my bailiwick. And I am always happy and eager to absorb their knowledge and their wisdom and just make it part of my toolkit. So I think there's a healthy mutual respect that we have. We don't try to do an even Stephen 50%, like each person, he writes the verbs and I write the nouns. It just doesn't really make sense. We work in our own spheres and contribute what each of us has. And, and the result is something that's bigger than both of us. And you guys each stay in your swim lane. And yes, uh, that's what I was trying to say. Thank you. Your swim lanes are right next to each other. There's great synchronicity between the two. Yeah. I'm so excited about this book and especially the timing of it being released. How can people buy this book, find it, buy it? You can certainly find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible. There is an ebook version. There is an ebook version. There is a hardcover version. It's available everywhere. And the books are sold, as they say. I am a huge fan of local independent bookstores. I just came back from a three-week book tour all around the country, and it was independent bookstore to independent bookstore. These store owners and managers, booksellers, and their audiences, their readerships, keep books alive. They are a fantastic living part of the book fabric. So if you can buy the book from your local independent bookstore, awesome, do it. Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the rest of them are there too, and you can get it anywhere. That's good. I recommend everyone does make this a Christmas gift for everyone out there. It's maybe a little early for buying for, buying for Christmas, but you know what? It's really going to be timely as well. We go through this year. This book is going to be just so good to give as a Christmas gift and share it with your colleagues, listeners. I appreciate it. John David, man, thank you so much for your friendship. Number one, thank you for being on the podcast again and sharing another awesome book. I appreciate you and your gifts so much. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Again, and do greet your wonderful, precious wife. What an amazing person. Just amazing. I I Thank you. Hey, listeners, this hot topic would not be possible without our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you again to Byte Software, Finastra, Total Expert, Candor Technologies, Simple Nexus, iEmergent, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, and Modix. Be sure to check out each of those sponsors and their sponsor on our website, Lincoln on Lending, at the sponsorship page. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.